Hey everyone, this is the Nips and Sips podcast featuring me. I'm Dr. Jeremy Boyd and my usual partner in crime over there, Dr. Brandon Cruz. Today we're going to be talking about uh, shoulder impingement uh, syndromes or uh, conditions uh, and also maybe a little rotator cuff as well. It's maybe a two-part series, but uh, I know this is something we all commonly see in outpatient orthopedics or sports rehabilitation. So, oh, nice, nice whiskey there. We're running up on it. Yeah, almost uh, done, man. Yeah, that's what that is that the eighteen-year blend. It's eighteen-year. Oh, that's a good one. Um, but all right, well, we're already kind of rolling right into it. Brennan's drinking that Johnny Walker, right? Yeah, Johnny Walker eighteen. You got it for me. Uh, I think two birthdays ago. Um, this is actually my second glass already because oh, we've been talking for like fifteen minutes. Um, also, shout out to. Uh, Stony Brook Athletic Training, um, my employee, Nisha, she, um, she got me this. This is just mad comfortable. I've been rocking it like all the time now. So <laughs> shout out, give Stony Brook a shout legit. out to where I'm at. That's cool. I guess what I'll, you got, uh, man? What kind of beer? Uh, being it's basic season and it's, uh, pumpkin season. Uh, having Shipyard's uh, pumpkin beer, pumpkin head. Um, I've had it. I mean, I usually don't like, I'm not a big pumpkin coffee person or anything like that, but there are some pumpkin beers I've had, especially a fan of, uh, was it Sam Adams, uh, has a good pumpkin beer. And I was like, that kind of opened the light for me for that. But this one I've had really just kind of trying to finish through the six pack here. Uh, I'm going to give it a, a 6.1. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a lighter beer. It's a little, still, uh, still morning time here, and uh, might as well get the party started. Yes, give me um, start just chatting, Jerry. I'm sorry, I just need to get my phone charger because my phone's low here. Keep, oh man, live at, live podcasting, but uh, yeah. So um, we're gonna we we realized we didn't really talk about the probably one of the more common things, obviously, with the shoulder impingement. Um, or subacromial impingement, or SAIS, whatever you want to kind of name it as. Uh, reality, you know, the impingement diagnosis is almost kind of like a garbage kind of umbrella term, similar to patellofemoral pain syndrome of the knee. But again, it is something that we commonly see, and I feel like yeah, it'd be great to kind of talk about it. I know I just had my fellowship weekend, um, the first part of the extremities or the upper extremities. Um, and it, you know, it brought some things to light, um, especially like how they focused on the things that I've been mobilizing shoulder joints, uh, glenoral humeral joints for a while. Um, and you know, had some obviously good outcomes and those sort of things, but really taking it to the next level, uh, of really kind of taking a look at the scapula, uh, SC joint, AC joints and those sort of things. Also, even doing some soft tissue work around there, which I definitely don't do as much of. Uh, but it was a really good course. Uh, I already started practicing it, right? People are starting to feel a lot better. Uh, so, yeah, it was good. But, um, Ray, why do you want to bring this uh, bring this to the show here? Yeah, so um, I know we did an AC joint or AC pathology, not joint. Uh, AC, AC capsulitis one before. I yes. thought we had done a so a shoulder one, but um, when, I, when I look back at our previous shows, we didn't. Um, I'm, you know, we are currently working on 
um, a shoulder course um, ourselves with our continuing education company. Uh, actually, on Tuesday nights, today, today is what, Thursday? So Tuesday nights, um, mentorship call that we had revolved around uh, shoulder differential diagnosis. Um, our, uh, I guess the, the clinician thought it was AC joint. And then we just basically troubleshot why she thought it was, what other possibilities could it be? Um, and, you know, I think a lot of um, PTs in general, especially newer grads early on, we just take the first thing that jumps out to us and we don't bother to, you know, try to prove ourselves wrong uh, and see what other uh, diagnosis or hypothesis could it be and where could pen, uh, pain be stemming from. So I think it's important to probably, I guess, this episode really dive into different diagnosis or the hypothesis or, or what else, you know, potential other reasons of shoulder pain. And then, you know, we'll probably cover some treatment, but I think maybe another episode um, we'll, we'll dive into the treatment, like you said, and, and kind of what we've done and, and kind of what we're doing now um, and how we've evolved, um, trying to become more open-minded and things like that. So I, I know we're a little pressed for time, which is probably why we're going to have to split this up into two um, two different podcasts, but should still make for some interesting conversation. Um, nonetheless, uh, with that, Jer, um, you said you just had your shoulder weekend. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I guess that that was more the basic one. I know in a, a couple weeks or a couple months, you said um, you're going to have the more advanced one. What did this basic more? You know, I use that in quotes. You're in a fellowship program. I'm sure nothing's too basic. But what are the what is the basic one kind of um, talk about? Was it more on difference diagnosis or red flags or anything like that? Or or you know, take us away. Yeah, definitely a heavy emphasis on uh, differential diagnosing. That's kind of how each region started, um, where it went. Uh, the uh, clinician, uh, Dr. Andrew Knass, and, the, and this weekend spent just going through all the possible differential diagnosing, the common things. Um, why the certain factors would lead to this. Uh, also in my fellowship, because we're more of a sports kind of themed one, what athletes particularly uh, experience these type of injuries, um, whether it's a, you know, subacromial impingement versus rotator cuff versus a posterior uh, kind of impingement, kind of breaking down and breaking down also what part or component into the sport where they're likely to have this sort of stuff. Is it, you know, peel back or is it during deceleration or is it landing for the gymnast? So big emphasis on that uh, during the first parts of each day of, of the lectures. Um, and then, you know, rolling into definitely the more of the examination process. And that's how they say it was, we learned some techniques um, focused on mobilizations, soft tissue stuff, and then the more advanced course is more like manipulations and those sort of things. So we start off um, once we kind of get went through our differential diagnosing um, in regards to impingement and everything like that. We kind of went over the different styles of impingement. We most of us know like there's primary impingement. Uh, so that's a something. Um, you know, more typically in our older athletes or older individuals, uh, there's something, uh, especially like an AC joint uh, spurring or osteophytes, a just a, a change to the actual joint itself. Uh, 
So that one, we're, we won't obviously make too many modifiable changes to that individual. But I, I've, you know, I've changed my practice from treating maybe the elderly senior population and then evolved into more of a sports field. But we had plenty of people diagnosed with impingement. They had that grade three hook, the chromium, uh, and they're kind of left to be doomed. And, you know, they responded pretty well to conservative rehab, which I, I think we should rename. Um, but, you know, most of what we see, especially if you're treating younger people or those mid-age individuals, it's probably those secondary imp uh, impingements where it's more of a potential control uh, issue, a scapulohumeral rhythm, those sort of things. Uh, so just kind of being able to identify which is which um, and then kind of going from there of like the internal impingements and such and so forth. So their big thing is starting off looking at posture. Um, we know there's no good, bad posture. They explain that well into the fellowship. Um, we also know that there's can be differences and uh, asymmetries into the, like the scapula and those sort of things, but do taking that into mind of just at least assessing it um, and doing a good job of being able to assess it. I think I kind of ran with the, the all those research articles that were like, oh, you know, you have a winged scapula or it doesn't move as well. And I just totally blew off my assessment of the, the scapula for a while. Um, and then kind of naturally slip back into it. Just at least look at it if something was weird. Like yesterday we had someone I was picking up for my therapist, other therapist who was out and one of his patients perfectly fine on elevating. We were there. He was able to get help with that um, during his first couple sessions, but it was like lowering his arm. So it was easy to think eccentric loading. Oh, that's got to be the cuff. Let's do a ton of rotator cuff stuff. But if you looked at a scapula from behind, if I didn't really go through this with my fellowship, you can see on the downward rotation, he was good, he was good. Right wing got to about 80 degrees. It's like it froze stiff. He modified things and then he, he kind of went through and that's right where I heard him. So yeah, could have been, you know, something that he's always been doing, you know, don't focus too much on posture but at least looking at it, I was like, okay, seems like he has an issue with downward rotation. I did a bunch of downward rotation mobilizations and completely alleviated his pain after that. So no exercise or anything like that. And then I followed up with some exercise afterwards. But that was the main gist of the weekend, uh, kind of focusing on those sort of things, building off of that. And then I'm hoping to come uh, two months or so, I think uh, we go more diving into treatment. But uh, how's that in comparison to like, a, let's say your training, your, your, uh, I know you just, you've you wrapped up your fellowship and everything like that, but. Yeah, yeah all, all great stuff. You hit on some, some good points that I want to, you know, just back to um, and starting with the, the impingement and you mentioned it's being an umbrella term and that's so true. Um, anything that's shoulder pain is it, kind of just garbage term impingement, but that could be, Really, we have to think about it as long along the lines of a spectrum. Um, you know, probably when you're earlier or you're, you're younger, I should say, it's probably more you know a tendonitis or bursitis, just some acute inflammation, and that's probably what you're seeing in more your your teenage athletes um, and maybe early twenty year olds. Um, 
you know, then we're probably uh, going into that spectrum, and especially when it comes to age, where it's probably more um, that, I guess, subacromial impingement. I know you talked about, you know, that hooked AC joint, um, which, you know, chances are they had that their whole life. Why is it now becoming a problem? Um, you know, probably some scapular mechanics, which is that type two or secondary type of impingement, which you're talking about, mm -hmm. but yet surgeons are so quick to cut people open. It's like, wait a second, your anatomy hasn't changed. Yeah, maybe the bones got longer and you're stronger and things like that because you age, but that error didn't come hooked out of nowhere. Um, so we have to think about what's, what other factors have changed, uh, activity, loading, overuse, um, imbalances, you know, we'll say it, posture. Um, and then we have the, the more serious rotator cuff pathologies where there's partial full tears and we're not really gonna, that, that's not happening in the, the younger population. Um, that's probably more your, your late 30 year olds, 40 year olds, 50 year olds, and people who are used to overhead stuff. Um, I don't know if we should dive into it too much today and, and maybe we save this for even a, a different, maybe it's a shoulder, uh, shoulders of the overhead athlete. I mean, we talk about high level pitchers, a whole athletes. A lot of them have um, tears in their uh, rotator cuffs and those are normal adaptive changes that they need to be able to throw the ball uh, 90 mm -hmm. plus miles an hour, a hundred times a game, 80 times a game, whatever the case may be. Um, so uh, I think really just bringing it back to understand that we have a spectrum. It can go back and forth. And what are we really looking at? Um, and I'll, I'll circle back to that with a uh, special test, but let's go over some red flags and stuff. And just briefly, cause um, you know, this is a, I guess a manual therapy podcast, right? But we still need to do justice and understand um, that not all pain is uh, musculoskeletal and we need to be, you know, conscious of things that says the liver is going to refer to the right shoulder region, stomach is right shoulder, pancreas, uh, pancreas tumor, uh, any myocardium is going to be left side, left-sided pain, spleen is going to be left-sided. Um, and then we also have to think about things like um, ulcers, infections, um, acute cholecystitis, gallbladder, and cervical spine, and thoracic spine. Um, and I know we've talked about second rib syndrome. I mean, there, there are a host of things that can refer to this shoulder region and create um, shoulder impingement. Uh, even AC, you know, adhesive capsulitis is going to have impingement type symptoms because you're throwing off those mechanics. Um, and then just to real cap on the, um, that internal impingement you, you mentioned, other people might understand it as a posterior impingement. So just a different terminology I just want to throw out there. Um, and that's typically seen at the 90-90 position um, in overhead athletes in that late cocking phase. Uh, if you have a swimmer, um, you know, and they're doing a backstroke or overhead crawl or something, cross crawl, something like that, freestyle, they're going to they're gonna feel that there as well. So, um, oh, and not to mention uh, we have a thoracic outlet. Almost forgot about that. Mm -hmm. um, that can uh, relate. So what I don't even know how many I mentioned. It was well over 10 different uh, possible diagnoses that your mind as a clinician, you need to be able to go through and that needs to spit out in your head. Okay, I have this, this, and this, and this and hear what the patient's saying subjectively because mechanism injury report is going to give you some narrow that down and then do some some special tests um and then we can really hone it down to maybe two or three things and then from there narrow it down even more uh with that jer what are your thoughts on i don't know if you guys covered special tests this past weekend mm. uh the use of them the, the not use of them um you know those are and in school we're, we're just taught 
like literally 20 or 25 special tests and, you know, students come out, uh, PTs come out and I've even seen, you know, seasoned clinicians, you know, just doing every special test in a book. And it's like, what are you even testing for, bro? Um, so, you know, if you can, you know, lend some advice on that and then uh, I'll dive in, dive in more, I guess, on the psychometrics of them. Yeah, uh, we did do a, a deep dive into special tests uh, more for, uh, which was cool. This was a little bit different, but it was, there's some AOMP guidelines that special tests do have to be reviewed. Um, mm-hmm. But our special test in there was, and the same, the clinician, just like me, I've in every advanced clinician I've ever met, the same thing. It's like, I really don't use much uh, special tests. Some of it's also insurance-based, but most of the guys in my fellowship are cash-based, so they don't have to worry about that too much. But it was, again, just a review. But it broke it down, especially the labral tears, um, and especially our population, as we're more of a kind of that sports uh, fellowship, mm. was uh, breaking it down between a compression type of labral tear, um, just a general labral tear, um, and or for like the overhead athlete. Uh, or the, uh, the um, like a pitching athlete or throwing athlete. So trying to actually use your spe- a certain test, like the crank and the biceps load and those sort of things for more of your um, pitching or throwing athlete, um, you know, more of a clunk and axial compression test for a, based off the injury for someone who landed on their arm or did like kind of a foosh type injury. So that was cool to kind of like, all right, instead of just having a big list of them and trying to shoot, it's like, all right, well, you should base it on how the mechanism entry actually happened. Uh, but we went to the, you know, psychometrics and those sort of things and understand it's not, they're not a terminal thing of like, Oh wow. Even me, we're doing like uh, Kim's test and drip test. And I was starting to get, you know, positive clicking and shifting in my right shoulder. I'm asymptomatic. I'm an overhead athlete at times. So, um, yeah, it's definitely obviously things to have in your toolbox. Uh, got some more based off the, again, more of the throwing athlete and kind of get a little bit more specific to the athlete. But, again, not putting a ton of weight into them at all and using more clusters versus one single test. Yeah, but, yeah with that, I mean – uh, I agree with you and, you know, we need to not rely on special tests and um, we need to be able to take that, that whole picture into account. But I still um, probably to a lesser extent today, but when I'm teaching, definitely, you know, I have two newer therapists I'm working with when we're into mentorship stuff, you know, I, I tell everyone um, and even for myself, sometimes I have to go back and make sure I don't get ahead of myself or bias myself, um, you know, with experience. And it's like, prove yourself wrong. Um, and, understanding what shoulder test tests for what, like you were saying, and kind of group them up, whether you're utilizing clusters or even kind of clusters within, within clusters, like understanding there are tests that are going to look at more impingement type stuff, understanding tests are going to look at more rotator cuff pathology, though that might have a crossover or, or an overlap with impingement, understanding the difference between labral tears. Um, and with that, traumatic labral tears or overuse labral tears versus general instability or laxity. Um, you're going to have a different test. I mean, people will do like the sulca sign and be like, Oh, it's a labral tear or it's unstable. But like how, you know, there's a difference between Ambry and tubs. Right. And I don't know if you went into that as well. Uh, tubs is traumatic unilateral bank card slap. Right. 
um, yep. versus Ambry, which is asymptomatic, multi-directional instability, preparing, uh, bilateral. bilateral and conservative treatment, right? Mm -hmm. um, so like understanding the differences between when to use maybe a crank or a uh, Kim's test or a biceps uh, load two test versus I'm looking at apprehension, uh, maybe some load and reshift and, and um, sulca sign. You know, those are going to be two different, um, I guess, pathologies or mechanisms of injuries that I'm mm -hmm. looking for and probably two different areas of, of interventions as well. Uh, so that's important to know um, the differences between some of these tests and also understand that these tests, you can't just do one or two and be like, oh, that's my answer because all you're doing is just confirming your bias and your bias is, let's say, oh, I think this person has impingement. Great. You did... Um, two tests that were positive and most of these tests are provocative in nature as well. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know if uh, you want me to go out no, slides here on, on some second no, audience here. Me showing? No, that's it. I was just kind of piggyback off and then you can go and go is that's when it's good. I mean, you don't have to perform every single test every time, but it's good to know these psychometrics and know what's the more sensitive test versus the more specific test and starting off, with the more sensitive kind of ruling it out. And then if you're starting to find some things, then knowing those other tests and then clustering them together is probably the way to kind of go. But I see that you've brought up some of these fine clusters here and I'll let you take the show here. Yeah, you, you mentioned a great thing and we had this on our mentorship platform the other day. It's, a, it's in the thread there. Um, I know you've been busy, so you haven't been able to tap in too much with uh, your fellowship training and, and work getting busy. But one of the things discussion we had was, do we do rule out tests first or rule in tests first? And, and the answer is we have to rule out. Let's say we have five different possibilities. We have to rule out as many of them as we can with as much certainty as we can before we jump into to treating. And we want that that sensitivity to be high um, and 88 is not high. We, we need something that's 95 plus. And uh, I use the example of taking a serious, more serious pathology um, and we'll just use cancer, you know, just for argument's sake here. Uh, we want a test, no matter what test it is, to be 95 plus percent certain that you don't have cancer rather than a test that's 88% certain. Because now that's 12% that, you know, is unaccounted for where you might have it versus 5%, um, you know, where you you might have it. So, you know, what odds would you rather have basically, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, but with these clusters and granted there are limitations um, and just because there are limitations, I don't think we need to throw the baby out of the bathwater and just throw these upstream, but uh, understand the utility in them and, and what we're looking for. So three item cluster for, for impingement, we have Hawkins Kennedy, painful arc and weakness with resisted ER. Uh, you should probably, if you're suspecting impingement, you know, we need to, you know, be utilizing these three at least and understanding that this is not telling you what exactly is being impinged. We just know there's an impingement. It doesn't say whether it's a bursa being impinged, whether it's biceps tendon, whether it's one of the rotator cuff muscles. If it is one of the rotator cuff muscles, it doesn't identify which rotator cuff muscle. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of, lot of um, holes in that one, but it still gives us an uh, area, an idea where to go. Um, let's see, we have, I think I have a five item cluster here. There we go. So, um, even the five item cluster, um, and we just adding a, a couple more, more tests here. So we're adding the, um, what do we got? Nears, 
an empty can, right? Just to try and uh, bolster our, um, our, you know, hedge our bets a little bit better in terms of diagnosis. And even still here, you know, we're looking at 75 and 74 specificity and sensitivity. So, um, you know, okay, but, you know, not enough to hang my hat on. You have to, you know, make sure you're ruling out, you know, neck pathologies, radiculopathies, and, and other things going on as well. Um, in terms of rotator cuff stuff, I'm going to kind of skip over some of the other stuff. Rotator cuff stuff, um, you know, we have these, these tears um, and, you know, our uh, clustering as well. But that cluster isn't going to, uh, we're not going to really be able to I, accurately identify a partial tear, a bar, partial tear, sorry. This is more good for a full thickness tear in a rotator cuff. And it's drop arm, painful arc, and weakness and rate, um, weakness with external rotation. Guess what? Two of these are the same two that were in the impingement. impingement so, yes. you know, we need to really be able to to identify, okay, is it a tear or is it an impingement? And if it is a tear, can, can we get this person, um, you know, relatively functional and, and pain-free without surgery or does this person need surgery? I mean, that's a call you're going to have to be able to make and, and have. And then, you know, just I'll, I'll wrap up uh, lastly here. We have our Cranks test and Kim test and, you know, what they're, they're looking for. And then we have our instability test testing, which we should really ask questioning, you know, was there a traumatic incidence? Do they feel like it's slipping out? Something like that. And then perform our apprehension location test, um, anterior release test, uh, <laughs> load, load and shift. I haven't, test. I haven't finished this slide yet. As you can see, I'm still working on our course. Um, and then our sulca sign. Um, and then after all that, we get to talk about tubs and ambry again. Sorry, this blank slide. I haven't finished the, the PowerPoint yet, but um, we went over what they stand for as well. Um, but yeah, I guess that's kind of, kind of it on that front. Um, anything else on, on your end, Jaren, in terms of, um, I guess, difference diagnosis or examination? Um, I guess we didn't really touch upon the neck or T-spine. I don't know if you want to dive into that before we jump into treatment. Yeah, it's uh, having, a, I guess, a couple things. Well, I guess um, just a different way I we examine that from the residency I want to talk about that a little bit and more how I use it in else other places in the body but um, speaking of that cluster for rotator cuff rotator cuff pathologies or tears or anything like that um, how do you feel when let's say you get someone and I bring this up because I was uh, co-treating a client of my mentee um, and had a pain, had a had a drop arm, painful arc, some weakness in external rotation. What's your opinion on this situations? Like you get someone like that, are they an automatic referral, or do you treat it a little bit? And then I'll kind of go into into what happened with this individual and how it pretty much did a complete one eighty flip for the gentleman. Yeah, um, I would like to say. I guess you can't always say always and never and stuff like that, but really yeah, am I jumping to, I need to refer you out, um, you know, and say what you will, if it's pride or a challenge, or um, I like to think it's my belief in the profession and my ability to hopefully keep somebody away from surgery uh, if possible. Um, I've gone through surgery 
it's, you know, I recovered well. Thank God I had a good surgeon. And, uh, but it still does get a little cranky on me. Um, and, you know, I couldn't go throw, um, you know, a ball game if I wanted to. It does fatigue out quickly. Um, and maybe that's on me because I, I didn't or don't uh, keep up with um, the strength like I should. But, um, you know, surgery at the end isn't fun. And not everybody has the fortune to either have a, a really good surgeon or the team around them to rehab it properly, or perhaps their body themselves doesn't take the, the surgery. Things can go wrong. Um, you know, luckily we're in America and for the most part, surgery is pretty done well here. Um, especially around where we live, where we're by major cities. So, um, the surgery is probably a little bit better, not to sound arrogant or anything compared to the rest of the country. So true. That way. But, um, you know, I would like to think that area, but with that, I'm, I'm at least giving it some session, um, to see if, Hey, can we figure this out? Can we get some improvement, uh, going on here? You know, also take into account what the person does for a living, um, what their quality of life is going to be. Um, is it truly a full thickness tear? Uh, is it just apprehension or another pain generator causing significant um, weakness or fear, apprehension, whatever, you know, lack of range of motion, all of the above. I mean, that is a lot to dive through and, and, and get your, yourself through the weeds on that and navigate through. I'm not saying it's easy. Um, I know I just rattled them off in under five seconds there, but in the clinic, you need to be able to think on your feet and, and understand what's going on. And that does take time. Um, so I, I guess I think I answered your question. And if I didn't, please let me know. I'm, I'm navigating through that. I'm saying, okay, let's give it, you know, X amount of visits or, you know, let's see how you just respond. And then we can go from there. I don't think you need surgery yet. If you do, we can always send you out. Surgery is always going to be there. And I, and I lay that out. And then, you know, it's my job to see, is this truly rotator cuff? Is this not coming from the neck? Is this not coming from the T-spine or, or scapulothoracic joint or, or something else that can be masking it or presenting it on the surface like a rotator cuff or an impingement, which let's be real, a lot of people have something in their shoulder, especially once you get past, past age like 25 or so if you played any type of sports or anything or been active in your life or, you know, a manual, th a manual worker, like a carpenter, you're probably going to have some stuff in that shoulder on imaging. So I'm not holding too much stock in that. Yeah. Um, the, I think there's, there's been plenty of studies of asymptomatic MRI uh, of the shoulders and there's plenty, plenty of junk in the trunk of the shoulder uh, for just about anyone, whether it's bursitis that they even know existed rotator cuff tears i believe they did a study on i want to say the toronto blue jays i can't remember uh it's one of the major league baseball yeah teams i think it was and i think it was the minor league teams or like the the players that were in um tr um spring training spring training yeah, yeah. yeah i think i have that those one. the asymptomatic ones i believe yeah. mri and again had a ton of stuff going um so yeah you want to put you know you want to respect what the findings are in imaging like that, but don't have to hang your hat on it. You know, make sure you educate people and again, test things out. Yes. Yeah, some people with a partial rotator cuff tear can, can be, do great. And most of them should, but some of them it's debilitating to them. Um, a lot of those are probably some individuals that may have some, you know, sen central sensitization, got a lot going on with their life. Um, you know, poor sleep habits, yada, yada, yada. Core therapy and all those sort of things. 
Um, but yeah, going back to this client and those sort of things, he was told that he had a positive drop arm, painful arc weakness, um, and how he's like, we gave it as a test, I guess, and then how he was doing it. Uh, he kept always putting his thumbs down, how he's lifting, like he, was, uh, he works kind of on a farm. Um, you know, quick modifications, uh, you know, helping him move into a little external rotation, those sort of things. And just like that is his drop arm kind of dissipated and he hasn't had it in multiple weeks. Um, still a little pain here and there. Um, but you know, I know a lot of people, once they see a drop arm, they think it's, it's over. Uh, and you know, we got to think there's a lot other things going on. People don't want to hold up against it. Eccentric kind of loading tends to be more uncomfortable generally. Um, but take that into a kind of irritated joint or whatever it may be. Um, you know, it's, you know, just take it with a grain of salt there. Um, so I always say, yeah, treat a little bit and then uh, see where it goes from there. Um, something also we were talking about examination and those sort of things. Something I still implement um, to a degree is the shoulder symptom modification procedure by Jeremy Lewis. Um, yeah, I'll put as much weight into it as I used to when I got into residency. I, yeah. I drank that Kool-Aid real hard. Uh, it was pretty much um, it's So if anybody doesn't know, I can probably uh, in put fairness, it. Scott sold that one pretty hard. Pretty hard. I, I, I never really got too much into it. I mean, I play around with it. But Scott, I, I will say in your defense, Scott sold Yeah, almost like as if he was part of that team that made it. But uh, he definitely sold it pretty hard. Um, and I, 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 you know, at that time I was, you know, shoulders were, uh, you know, it's a complex joint. It was complex for me. Uh, and I started to kind of see what everyone was saying. It was like, oh, all our special tests are pro generally provocative in nature. Even while we were doing tests, most of us this weekend didn't have any shoulder pains or anything like that. But nobody really wanted the test to be done repetitively over on their shoulders over and over and over. The shoulder symptom modification procedure is a nice way to kind of guide your treatment at the start. I say it's your best, it's just a quick buy-in. Um, you can modify something. So it's good for also the manual therapist, I think, um, where you can modify positions of the scapula, the AC joint, SC joint, glenerol humeral joint, the T-spine uh, with your hands. Um, and see if you can make a, you know, most people have a pain with obviously just overhead lifting that painful arc and see if you can modify things and then um, either do a manual technique. Uh, if it, there is any sort of hypomobilities or stiffnesses or soft tissue restrictions or do exercises that target that particular area. Uh, most people know the scapular assistance and retraction test. Or if you want to do a manual therapy, well, you probably should do some things that if you have a positive scapular assistance test, um, you know, do some things that, you know, work serious anterior, upper trap, lower trap, that whole combined motion. Um, but yeah, if anybody's, let's see, can I share my screen? Well, this is it, but no, 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 no. Well, this is the article. Rotator calf tendinopathy, subacromal pigeon. This is a time for a new method of assessment. But where's the. Aha. Just share this real quick. This is just an example of how you do the shoulder symptom. And uh, you can just play around with thoracic extension. You can just kind of facilitate that with your hands, scapular positioning, 
can elevate the press or retract it, posterior tilt it, combinations, winging scapula. You can tape it, manual stabilize it, humeral head. It can go into more of the SCS, ACSC joints. So I've actually more taken that principle even more from the shoulder and just apply it to elsewhere in the body. Yeah. Play around with like, oh, ankle pain with inversion and those sort of things. All right, let me try a posterior glide of the distal fibula. Oh, it's symptom-free. Maybe I should move it. All right, now it's completely symptom-free without me touching it afterwards. Or things in the knee. All right, it hurts to squat. All right, let me do a medial patella glide. All right, you know what? Let me move it for a little bit. All right, now it's no longer pain-free. So just taking that concept and applying it elsewhere uh, is, is a great thing. But, yeah, I just wanted to bring that to the, to the topic here. And uh, I think when I first started, I just did glenoral humeral, scapular, and thoracic spine and kind of skipped down AC, SC joint. Uh, I probably did a poor job doing the scapula. So now it's a little bit more in depth for me. But uh, I guess we can start maybe talking a little bit about treatment. I think that might be good for a second episode. But uh, I know you want to bring up some things there, Brandon. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, we'll probably save uh, treatment, SC and AC joint for the next episode. But um, yeah, the symptom uh, modification, you know, I'm sure more people are familiar with the uh, scapular assistance and scapular resistance test. It's basically utilizing that and taking it a step further um, mm. to some other other regions. Um, and I'll just kind of wrap up with, uh, I think, pretty funny story. So it was, a, it was residency, it was Scott. It was before you were, because I was a cohort, half a cohort ahead of you. And um, Scott sent out like three emails, like all clustered, like together, like forgetting, like the first email sent out, he forget something. Then he sent out another one um, saying, oh, I forgot this in an email, the, the previous email, read this. And then he sent out a third one. And I remember reading the second one and I was like, okay, cool. And then he, he sent the third one. I didn't read that one. That one had something different than in the second one. And I just kind of was like, all right. Uh, cause this was like Friday night, right before, um, uh, residency weekend. And I, I was like, all right, I'll check that email later. It's probably the same thing. He's the guy, this guy is sending like 10 emails all cluster fucked together. Um, and at that point I didn't really know Scott, you know, so I didn't read it. So we get to class and he's like, Oh, did you, he meant, I asked a question. He's like, did you read it? Or I led with, Oh, I haven't read that article yet. Um, I didn't realize because in the morning I got up. That's what it was. In the morning I got up and I realized it was a new, it was a completely separate email with new content in it. And I led it. I was like, I didn't read it yet. Like, um, and it, right before, I didn't even get to say anything after that. He's like, of course you didn't. Just like the smart Alec comment that Scott was. He's like, yeah, like, why would you read it? I said something. It's not important. You know, just that like, kind of said, I was like, well, dude, like you sent it last night, like three emails. I thought it was part of the last one but I'll never forget. And it was on the symptom modification. It was just typical, uh, typical residency Scott story. And if you don't, yeah. stuff, um, and you know, you get ripped apart for it. Um, mm -hmm. you know, so it's, a, I mean, everyone wants to be better, but you definitely have to put, put the work in. And, and if someone's mm -hmm. hard on you, it, it's for a reason. Um, but with that, I guess we'll just kind of wrap up with some, some show announcements. Um, I guess by the time this, this will be posted, we would have had our lumbar pelvic course, um, yeah. but, uh, we have our, uh, big course coming up, the spinal manipulation course, two day course, first weekend in December at my location in uh, Verona, New Jersey, that's North Jersey, um, tends to always be our biggest, um, one of our biggest draws there. So hopefully we see some people there. Um, we also have our, uh, uh, manual therapy video membership, 
um, and our manual therapy virtual mentorship with uh, me, Dr. Boyd here, and Dr. Feldman. Um, both are, are really starting to take off. Uh, so if you guys have been considering it, um, thinking about it, uh, reach out to me or Jeremy, DM us. You know, we'll be happy to hop on a call, walk you through it, explain anything, any questions you have. But uh, we'd love to have you, have you guys. Um, always good to, to talk, you know, PT and advance this profession. Um, so I guess I'll, I'll just leave it up with that. Jeremy, any, any last wrap-ups there? No, no, no. Uh, hopefully we can see you guys at some of these courses and everything like that. Uh, I know we have some other exciting things coming for uh, you know, the, Con Ed, the Con Edit company. Uh, yep. So hopefully we can make announcements on that soon. And uh, yeah, if you have anything, uh, have any comments, concerns, or anything like that, or need some mentorship or anything like that, feel free to reach out to us. I'm at Nips and Sips on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Feel free to subscribe to us so you know when every episode drops. And then um, I'm at The Decent Doctor and at uh, Traffic of Therapeutics. Brands at Pursue PT Now and Think Like a Fellow. And uh, yeah, hopefully uh, get talking soon. And uh, yeah, cheers, everyone. I'm out. Cheers, guys.